every single day you do jujitsu, Craig, you're being reprogrammed around these three truths. Number one, the situations you thought were really bad are simply techniques waiting to be discovered. Number two, the, adver the adversaries that you thought were unbeatable aren't. And number three, the body that you thought wasn't capable is. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. If you're new to our community, we drop a new episode on the first Thursday of every month. And I want to encourage you to subscribe wherever you consume the content. And also, this is really important, please get the leader guide. Uh, we've got all sorts of additional information, questions for your team. Go to life.church slash leadership podcast, and we'll send you the leader guide with each new episode. If this content is helpful to you, if you wouldn't mind rating it or writing a review wherever you consume it, that would be a gift to me. Also, please invite others on social media to be a part of our community. If our team sees your post and you tag us, we may repost it as well. Let me tell you about our interview today. I'm talking to the one and only Henner Gracie, who is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt instructor, coach, and inventor. Uh, Henner helped train some of the most recognizable fighters in the UFC. He's the co-owner of Grace University. He is an inventor, an entrepreneur. He is the guy that founded Quick Flip, a garment converting into a backpack that was featured on Shark Tank and named by Time Magazine as one of the best inventions in 2019. He's the author of The 32 Principles, Harnessing the Power of Jiu-Jitsu to Succeed in Business, Relationships, and Life. Buckle up. Henner has what they call the Hennergy, and you're going to see why. Let's join him now for the interview. Hey, Henner, this is, uh, man, this is a dream come true for me. Uh, it's an honor to have you on the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. Thank you, man. Congrats on all the great work. Honor to be here. Thank you. And congrats on your blue belt in jujitsu. Hey, I'm telling you, you are one of my coaches, whether you know it or not. I'm, I'm one of the guys that trains in a, what you might call a Gracie garage. I am uh, actually holding your book, The 32 Principles of Harnessing the Power of Jiu-Jitsu to Succeed in Business, Relationships, and Life. And so I, I was a uh, consumer of your video product before you came out with the book. And so we've been learning from you for quite a while. And it's, you know, it's a real honor to have you on the podcast. I was talking to some people earlier and telling them I was going to interview you. And I said, okay, let's take soccer or some people around the world would call it football. You got messy. Let's take basketball. They might argue between Jordan or LeBron. I said, when it comes to jujitsu, if there's any arguments between Gracie or Gracie or Gracie or Gracie, you are up at the, the very, very, very top of the elite athletes and not just practitioners, but I would, but trainers, disciplers, uh, coaches. And so for anybody that's listening that doesn't know about jujitsu, let's start there. How would you explain the art of the sport of jujitsu? Well, just to give a, a brief framework, because the Gracie family is massive. The only thing they do better than jujitsu is reproduce. So there's way too many Gracies. And we're talking about my grandfather had nine children. His brother, Carlos, had 21 children. Between 21. the two of them, 105 grandchildren. And that's where I fall in. And then we have our own kids. So the great-grandchildren now, they're all over the place. Too many to keep track of. So it's this massive family of fighters, of jujitsu practitioners, dating back to the early 1900s in Brazil. And what ended up happening is my grandfather and his brother Carlos learned this as a, a young man in Brazil, and they learned Japanese jiu-jitsu. They began adapting the techniques to accommodate their frail physiques. Um, eventually, my grandfather, who was the youngest kind of runt of the family, became highly efficient with the techniques and became the family champion, started conducting no-holds-barred fights in Brazil in the early 1900s, and was just winning and just became a national sports hero in Brazil. My father and his brothers, my uncles, were born into that legacy of fighting, doing it from day one. Before you know it, they're all much older. They're getting their own black belts. They're part of this. They're opening jiu-jitsu academies in Brazil. And then my father left that, came to America in 1978, started teaching classes right here in Hermosa Beach in Southern California. And uh, this is the area where I was born. And he's teaching classes out of his garage. Everyone he met, he invited for a free class. They tell their friends. The friend gets a free class. And I'm literally born during these garage days in 1983. 
And I'm seeing classes happen in the garage. And every once in a while, you get a karate master or a taekwondo master or a kickboxing master who would show up at the garage and did not believe in the efficacy of jujitsu. So you have this guy who's been, you know, punching bricks and, you know, breaking sticks for the last 30 years of his life, a master in these arts. And he doesn't believe that a jujitsu master can defeat him. So these challenge matches happened I'm five, six, seven years old watching this happen in the garage. Like it's totally normal for grown men to be fighting consensual uh, combat in a garage in Southern California. I didn't know any other reality. So that's my upbringing. And lo and behold, the Gracie family would defeat these other martial artists time and time again. Mm -hmm. And you know now, Craig, it's kind of cheating, right? Because these other arts for the audience who doesn't practice any martial art, when you're training taekwondo or boxing or kickboxing, it's all about the distance. I have to be standing at the perfect distance for my punch to land on you, and I have to be fast enough to hit you without getting hit. Mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu violates the traditional distance at which a fight is fought. Mm-hmm. So instead of two people standing and punching back and forth and hitting each other time and time again, hoping for a knockout, jiu-jitsu teaches for us, the jiu-jitsu master, to stay out of reach mm-hmm. so that the striker can't reach us. And then if they move forward, we back up. If they go again, we back up again. And if they take a big step forward to attack us, we close, close the, the distance. distance and get into this grappling range. So now their strikes have no power. So we literally violate what they expect in terms of that transaction. And once we grab you like a snake on its prey, we're going to the ground. Mm-hmm. You're going to burn out all your energy in 30 to 60 seconds, as I saw a hundred times in the garage. And then we're going to submit you with a joint lock or a chokehold. But the best part is we can do all of this without throwing a single punch. And when we do the joint lock, we don't have to break your arm. Mm -hmm. We just get you to surrender and then we let go. So there's no permanent damage. So it gives you the highest level of control over another person with the lowest level of violence. Mm -hmm. And this is why the world is falling in love with jujitsu, because it teaches you how to neutralize anyone without actually fighting them, right? Without actually having to hurt someone. That's what I love about it, right? It humanizes the practitioner. And that's also why we're doing incredible work with law enforcement throughout the country and around the world because jujitsu gives them the tools to arrest people and control subjects who are violent and aggressive, but in a way that is not violent or aggressive, you know? So it's just an incredible martial art. I I just feel like I, I struck the lottery being born into this family that not only is the founding family of this martial art, but to now be in a position to where I get to be part of so many people's lives improving, yes. right? Like the reward and the gratitude that I feel being in a role to give people the gift of jujitsu and then see the effect that it has on their lives, personally, professionally, obviously the confidence, the fitness and the self-defense. But to me, those are just the entry level benefits. Yep. The real benefits are in the life and business application of these principles. Well, I actually agree with you uh, a lot. When you, when you came out with the book, I was so excited because I have been in my own, uh, as a three-year student of jujitsu, I've been taking principles and saying what I learned on the mats, I apply in my leadership all the time. And it was kind of shocking how often I did that. To to tell you a little bit of my journey, and I'm going to ask you to comment on this, I've been leading this organization for almost 28 years and going really strong, high growth, a lot of pressure. And about four years ago, I kind of started to hit a little bit of a wall and was burning out. So I started working with a performance psychologist, and he gave me an assignment to go find 30 different things that were new, um, kind of high adrenaline and risky for my personality, and he wanted me to try them. Well, I ended up picking two. One, I became a, a private pilot, and then I got my instrument rating. So I started that at the age of 52. And the other thing I tried was jujitsu because I had always wanted to try, but Henner, I, I thought, man, I'm too old, you know, and then I got older and I'm way too old. And when I got on the mats, two things happened. And I want you to comment about this because I think this really applies to any leader that wants to get better. The first thing that happened is I got humbled so fast because I was a collegiate athlete. I'm bigger and stronger than a lot of people. And so I I thought I was relatively tough. And you've heard this a million times over. And you get on the mats and you realize that someone much smaller can handle me a thousand different fights, a thousand times I'm going to lose. Never, not a single chance. So my humility increased, but at the same proportion, my confidence increased because every day I was learning and I was getting better and I was applying principles that would apply to other areas of life. Can you talk to me about how something that seems as unrelated to life and leadership as just a sport, how does it increase your confidence and humility and that pour over into other areas that would make you a better leader? 
Jiu-Jitsu is so addicting because it changes the operating system, Mm -hmm. not just fighting operating system, but their life operating system of the practitioner more profoundly and in less time than any other activity we know of, Mm -hmm. right? And you alluded to this when you talked about your humble introduction to the art, but really I think there are three major uh, psychological impacts that the practice of Jiu-Jitsu has on the practitioner, how you face problems, how you face people, and how you face yourself. Now, conventionally, if you think of a fight, right, in terms of how you face problems, when you think of a generic street fight, if, if, if I were doing jujitsu in this room right now that I'm sitting in, and you were to bring in someone from the street and just let them walk in and, and observe what's happening, and let's say I was on the bottom of the fight, and someone were to walk in and see me underneath my opponent, We both know, Craig, that the person who walks in would automatically infer that I'm losing the fight because I was on the bottom of the fight. Now, in jujitsu, not only is this not true, but in many senses, the exact opposite is true. I'm winning on the bottom of the fight. People talk about jujitsu helping you become comfortable in uncomfortable situations, right? You've heard this term before. It's much greater than that. Jujitsu teaches us to win from what others might consider worst case scenarios, right? So that's one, how you face problems. When you realize on the mat that things that you thought were worst case scenarios aren't, it changes you. Number two, how you face people. Mm -hmm. Now, from an evolutionary standpoint, larger, stronger members of a species consistently defeat smaller, weaker members of the same species, right? When we're talking about two gorillas fighting for a mate or, you know, a squirrel fighting another squirrel for a nut, Right. The larger, stronger gorilla typically dominates, consistently dominates the smaller, weaker gorilla. But what's crazy is humans have a unique ability to violate the natural order of things when it comes to dealing with physical threats from members of the same species. And jujitsu is the fastest way for a smaller, weaker member of this, right, the human species to defeat, to overcome, and to defend against a larger and stronger member of the same species. So that really teaches us to reconsider how we look at other people in our lives. And then, of course, we got to talk about how you face yourself, right? Because for so long, Craig, you considered learning jujitsu, but you never did it. You knew about jujitsu 30 years ago when the UFC started, right? You don't live under a rock. You knew what was happening. At least 20 years ago, you were aware But we don't do things, right? And I believe that 99.9% of the population falls into this category. They've heard about it, but they've never tried jujitsu because they don't feel like they're capable of doing, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too tall, I'm too short. You name it, they've used it as an excuse. And the list goes on, right? But here's what's wild. For those who do make it on the mat, what they realize is not only do they realize that their fears were largely unfounded, but they realized that the bodies that they were born with are capable of exponentially more than they ever gave credit to mm-hmm. and for. It's I think of a Swiss Army knife, right? The way I look at it is everyone is a Swiss Army knife in the world. But everyone has existed, Craig, thus far, mm-hmm. only using the knife blade from the instruments on the pocket knife. When in fact, there are... right. 30 plus instruments, right? The magnifying glass, the nail file, the scissors, the saw, the Phillips head screwdriver, the tweezers. There's so many other tools that this instrument is capable of, but humans exist only with the knife function. And because it cuts things, they go, okay, I'm using my Swiss army knife. And what I'm here to say is you haven't even come close to tapping into the potential of your body, your yourself, your capability physically until you learn jujitsu and learn how much more your body is capable of than what you ever gave it credit for. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it in that sense, every single day you do jujitsu, Craig, you're being reprogrammed around these three truths. Number one, the situations you thought were really bad are simply techniques waiting to be discovered. Number two, the the adversaries that you thought were unbeatable aren't. And number three, the body that you thought wasn't capable is. And if you ask me, this is why jujitsu is so addicting. On a side note, I want to say just to our community, whatever you lead, if you could get one-tenth as excited about it as 
Henner is about jujitsu, you're going to be better at what you do. So <laughs> hey, you, you, your passion is, is no, contagious. It's, trademarked. it's called, you, Craig, it's called the Henergy. The, right? the, we haven't found you, a way to bottle it yet, but it's amazing. <laughs> and I'll just tell you what, when we talk about people's quality of life yep. being a function of the impact and the service that they provide to others, right? Much like you and all the great work you're doing at the church, for me, like, this is my church, and that is my service. The quality of life, the improvement in the quality of life I can provide people through jujitsu. And I feel like anyone who's having the impact on other lives to the extent that I've been privileged to have, they would have the same energy every single day. And this is without any coffee, without any drugs, without any stimulants. I wake up like this, and I go to bed like this because I just – my life is only so long and there's only so much impact I can have. And I'm like, just give me more time and give me more hours because there's nothing more rewarding than to know that you're, you're, you're having a positive impact on people's right. lives and that you're in their testimonial yeah. for when they made the switch from being blind mm. to seeing the world for what it is and seeing their opportunity fully. Well, I love the way you really, you just care about people and you'll take someone that was bullied and bring them in and train them and help them learn how to defend themselves and grow in confidence. Or you'll take, people from the police force that maybe don't have even as much hand-to-hand -hand combat training as we would hope they would, and you'll offer services to them to help you get better. So I love your heart for people. Two things you said I wanted to highlight, Henner. You talked about just that the, you, your body is capable of more. The way I always explained it years ago, I had this guy who's kind of like you. He was an expert in his field. He uh, had me hold my breath, and I could do it for about a minute one time. And then he taught me some different techniques. The next time I went from a minute, the very next time to two minutes and 45 seconds. And what he said to me is he said, your mind doesn't understand what your body is capable of. And I, I never will okay. forget that because, and I've learned that in jujitsu as well. I mean, I'm 55 years old and I am way more capable before and flexible and confident. And if, if, if I go to the ground with somebody, I've been there this morning. And so it, it changes, but in leadership, I just want to say to our community that you, your your body is capable more than your mind understands, that you can do more. And you talked about the connections. I see this in life and leadership in, in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I'm a blue belt, so that's kind of like an advanced beginner, and I'm still, still a beginner. But you start to see how things tie together. In my work, we have uh, 45 different church locations that we oversee. I can walk into one, it's the same building, same people, same systems, and within five minutes, conversations connect. What you hear tells you something, what you don't hear, what you see, what you don't see. And I think that's one of the things that jujitsu teaches you to do is connect principles that can help you lead better. I wanna talk about one of the principles in here. We did this early on in my garage studying. It's the principle of detachment. Can you tell me a little bit, how does that work in life and leadership? What is that, how does that apply? Yeah, so just for the audience out there, um, the detachment principle as defined is recognizing when holding on does more harm than good and when letting go does more good than imagined, right? So this is true in life and in leadership. Now in the jujitsu application, right? There are techniques that are applied as a function of my control or my, my function of me getting a hold of someone and you know connecting to them. But just as important as it is to know when to connect, it's equally important to know when to detach for your own benefit. And there are many techniques where by me choosing to detach at the right time, I can begin to prepare for what comes next. And that's what's so important about this detachment principle is that you can't start focusing on what lies ahead unless you detach from what was already passed and is no longer relevant in a situation. The person who can detach from the present right inevitability and begin focusing their efforts on the right the outcome is going to be better prepared for that outcome and for many leaders the challenge is often their inability to right to detach their ego and their pride right, right to something that was you have to know when to let go and say hey I got to move on and I got to switch right I got I got I got to carry the information and then the, the, the knowledge that I gained from this experience and this interaction, I have to apply that forward to the next initiative, but I do have to let go, right? In order to climb the rope, you must let go of the rope, right? You have to detach your grip and you have to climb and you have to detach it because if you're holding on with a death grip and, uh, and this will often explain why, you know, in times of challenge or in times of adversity, some people thrive and some people struggle and drown, right? Because, we talk about their ability to detach 
and to seize a new opportunity when it presents itself. But for many leaders, that's a challenge because they're so either emotionally or financially or invested in any way, shape or form. If you can get yourself to detach and say, nope, I lost the arm bar. Let me focus on the triangle choke application right here. If you can do that, then I think you're going to have a much brighter future as a leader. I think that's super important for leaders because, Henry, like a lot of times uh, we can be too controlling and there might be some part of our organization that we're just hanging on to, hanging on to, hanging on to. And I tell leaders that you can have control or you can have growth, but you can't have both. If you try to over control, you'll actually become the limit or the lid to the organization if you don't trust other people. And so you do have to let go. You have to empower people. You have to let them carry things forward. If you don't, you're, you're going to be the, the lid to it. And I, that's what I like about, like you just gave a very, very visual image. This morning, I was working on your, uh, the triangle principle. I was watching your video and you, you had the little, uh, the triangle. You're an incredibly visual teacher with great intentionality. In order to climb the rope, you have to let go. I'm curious to get a little bit behind the scenes in how you think. If you're one of the greatest coaches in the world, how do you lead people to an outcome? What goes through your mind to be a great teacher? You're not just a world-class practitioner, but you're a great teacher. Talk to me about how we can grow in our ability to teach and lead people. What goes through your mind to be a great teacher? Thanks for that, Craig. Yeah, so I think that my greatest asset as a teacher of so many people of such a broad, I teach UFC fighters and I teach bullied women and children and Navy SEALs and business executives. So I teach everyone. And I think one of my greatest gifts is my ability to sit where they sit, right? To really empathize mm -hmm. with the framework and the reality of the recipient of that information, right? So I'll put myself in their shoes quite effectively. In fact, in writing the book, when I met with the publishers, I said, hey, I have a great idea. I want to write a book about the 32 principles of jujitsu applied to life and business. What do you think? They said, great, let's do it. I said, but I have one condition under which I will write this book and, and partner with you to publish it for the world. I said, jujitsu is so visual that I need to be able to demonstrate physically and visually these techniques mm -hmm. for the audience. So when I wrote the book, I said, you guys, I have a crazy idea. At the beginning of every chapter, you have to allow me to include a QR code that when scanned allows the student, allows the reader, they scan. So tension principle, chapter 14, and they scan this, scan here to learn the combat application of the tension principle. So before they read about that, every single chapter, 32 chapters, 32 QR codes are included so the people can scan and it pops up a five minute video where I and my brother teach the combat application in, in, in not exhaustive detail, but in clear enough detail to where we're not speaking some other language when we're, you read the chapter. You understand what we're talking about. And boy, did that work. For the readers around the world, this is a completely new experience for a reader to bounce between mediums, right? Between the video medium, the audio, and then into the printed ink on paper. So now these videos excite the reader. They get to know me. They get to see me in person like you see me now. They get to meet me on the video. I'm sharing my excitement about the combat application. And then I'll see you in chapter number 14 where we explain how the tension principle helped us transform a world of martial artists into a world of dedicated students from skeptics. So whatever, I'll kind of lead into that. And then I, in the chapter, I break down the application in life and business. So in terms of being a teacher, and this is reflected in how I wrote the book and how I structured the book, but it's also reflected in every class that I teach and in every class taught by every instructor I've ever certified. So every teacher of jujitsu everywhere in the world that is under our organization is rigorously certified in a presentation process called SPF, Slice Presentation Formula. And the formula is structured. It starts with the frame, then you introduce the problem, then you forecast the upcoming slices or variations of that technique, then you have your demonstrations. You have your silent demo, you have your detailed demo, you have your solo demo, and you have a bad guy demo. Then you have your release reminders, which is basically where to start, how to drill, and when to reverse roles. Then you have your gash, give feedback, ask questions, slow motion, help each other. So it's a combination of understanding where the student sits coupled with systems for success that allow me and have allowed me to have the impact as a teacher that I've had all over the world. I love it. So let me unpack what you said, because you said a lot there. First of all, I'd summarize and say, 
you are a you-focused leader, meaning you're not in there to help them see how great you are. You're, you are putting yourself in their shoes and trying to help them use whatever they have to get better. And so you start with a you-focused mindset. Then you're going to break things down. And first, you're going to try to model it. And that's what you do. You say, here's, I'm going to demonstrate it. So if we're going to be good in leadership, um, great leadership is often caught more than it is taught. We're going to create the right kind of culture. We're going to demonstrate um, this is how the moves would be made. And then I love what you just said, because I was, I was actually going to try to get some more out of you. And I intuitively could tell this, but you're a very systematic leader. And you just went through a very systematic approach to how you're going to train your instructors worldwide. It's not by accident. You're going to guard a culture and you're going to create systems. The question I was going to ask you, and I'll ask you a version of it, but I'll change it up a bit. There are other great practitioners um, black belts, very good at jujitsu. They're going to open up a studio and they're going to stay small forever. You're very, very good. You haven't stayed small. There is a difference. Can you tell me what are some of the fundamental differences between someone who's starting any kind of business, any kind of ministry that some scale it up? Maybe they're equally smart, but they've got equal degrees in education. They've got equal opportunity, but there's something different between something that stays small and something that grows big. Unpack that a little bit for me. What do you do? What do you bring that gives you the ability to scale up? Yeah. And so I'll tell you this. You said it. Systems are the secret to scalable success. That's it. What I see more concerning, Craig, about than anything is, and what varies from one leader to the next is the commitments to the systems. So, what have I observed in my own schools around the world is that the best leaders are the leaders who say, look, this is the system. For every 20 students that we achieve, it might only be perfect for 19 of them. If there's a customer that comes in that is the one, 5%, we'll call it, the one out of 20, for whom the system is not perfect, it doesn't quite work for them. The, the good leaders are going to say, okay, let's change the system. Let's just modify this. Let's make an exception for this guy. And let's do this this way instead of that way. They adapt to that, to that one customer for whom the system is not perfectly suitable. The great leaders say, hey, you know, honestly, this is a more self-defense oriented school. And our beginner curriculum is designed this way for safety and structuring purposes. And we're not going to change the curriculum because you're looking for something different. In fact, let me recommend that school down the street, which is more in alignment with what you're focusing on and your intensity and your capability and your athleticism. I can recommend five other schools that'll be great for you. Yes. But don't break the system. So the, the, the leaders who have the strongest spine and the strongest resolve and the strongest commitment to adhering to those systems with incredible loyalty, it's because they realize that their ability to grow their school is based on those systems. So they're loyal to the systems. And just to be clear, this doesn't mean that I'm not constantly looking for ways to take my 95% effectiveness ratio and turn it into 96 or 97 through changes gradual over time. But they're very carefully considered and they're there. We always are going to consider all sides and all components. What I'm talking about that's okay. Improvement is okay, right? Every large organization will improve over time or you die. What I'm saying is don't violate your systems on a whim because you want to accommodate everyone. Instead, realize that, listen, what you offer doesn't have to be right for everyone. It just has to be right for 95% and you got a great business model and just stick to the systems. Yeah. So th this is brilliant. And, and I want to just, in case I've got a listener that says, well, what exactly is a system? As, as simply as it can be defined, a system is how you accomplish the what. You have a what, something that is your mission, it's your how do you sell a product, how do you franchise, how do you teach seven-year-olds jiu-jitsu. You, you have a what, and the system is how you do it. What we know about systems is that good systems make good leaders look great. Bad systems make good leaders look bad. And so the systems is, is, a, is an exponential catalyst to better, or it's a, it's a weak, something weak that creates more problems. And everybody has systems. Some systems are good. Some are bad. Systems are there by intent or they're there by default, but they are there. If you don't like the systems that you have, you need to change what you accept and what you, what you tolerate, what your system is, is a result of that. And so I love what you said too. And this really speaks to, um, we've got probably 
uh, 25% of our churches do what I do there in ministry. And a church can say, you know, we want to reach everybody and we do, we love everybody and we do. But sometimes there's someone comes in and says, well, we want this and this is what we expect in a church. And so if a church compromises their unique strategy, their unique mission, and tries to reach, you know, to accommodate everything, they're going to lose what makes it special. And the same is true in business. To really be effective in business, you're going to grow most often with your no's, not with your yeses. If you say yes to every opportunity, you're going to dilute the very things that made you special. And so... I, I can I can feel your systems from a distance, Henner. I can smell them when I look online. It just screams out like this is a well-run, organized group. And that's that's one reason you have great coaches, great systems, make it. You also have to have great people around you. You have to have other leaders. You want to reproduce them. I'm curious, uh, let's say you've got two black belts and they're equal in talent, but one of them is a way better coach than the other one. What are the qualities that will make that one better? And so we can help maybe find those in the leaders we're looking for. The way I explain it to my instructors is we're not in the jujitsu business. We are in the people business. We just happen to teach jujitsu. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'd rather take a purple belt to lead a class with a hundred students in it, in my absence, let's just say, or any certified training center around the world. I'd rather have a purple belt leading the classes who puts people first mm-hmm. and really can prioritize, empathize, and connect on the human level with their students than the black belt who has all the gold medals but doesn't really know how to sit where the student sits mm-hmm. and really know the struggles, the challenges, the fears, right? The fear of injury, the fear of embarrassment. Sometimes you have a black belt champion who doesn't remember what it's like to be a white belt because that was 30 years ago for them. So they don't empathize with that reality for the student. But a purple belt or sometimes even a blue belt who we've had teach jiu-jitsu at certain schools around the world, level one certified training centers. I have blue belts who are amazing instructors mm-hmm. because a year ago, they too were a white belt. So they empathize with that white belt better than some black belts around the world. And they have and the irony is and this is not just my assessment or this is not just my uh, this is my anecdotal kind of uh, arbitrary assessment. This is proven with the numbers. I mean, we have. 250 schools and 80% of them are run by non-black belts. Mm. And some of the most successful ones, we're talking five, six, 700 students are run by purple belts or brown belts, right? So it's crazy that this opportunity exists out there, but it's only because of the systems. And it's only because those highly successful leaders put people first. And at the end of the day, when a white belt shows up at a BJJ school, that white belt doesn't care what you can do to them. They care what you can do for them. Mm -hmm. And I explained that and a lot of leaders seem to get it. Yeah, it's one of the ways we say it sometimes is that a a good leader will make themselves look important. A great leader will help you know that you're important. And so that's something that really does come out in what you do that that you care about people and and really want to help them succeed. And that, that shows in the coaches that you bring in in so many different ways. We have a mutual friend, uh, Lewis Howells. I listened to you on his podcast after you rolled with him, which was fun to see. You know, you roll with a really a world class athlete and watch him learn. My gosh, this I've got a lot to learn. And he, so he asked you kind of playfully, like you against Mike Tyson, who would win? And you were humble about it, of course, but you kind of just said, you, you know, you would at any day. And there's some people that might look out there and go. You know, Henner, what are, what are you, six foot four, 195 pounds? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you could beat Mike Tyson. I'll tell you right now, I would put everything I have, my future, my retirement, my kids in here, I put it all on the line that Henner would take Mike Tyson. And no disrespect to Mike, it's just a different sport. So you wouldn't be afraid of anybody hand to hand. Anywhere you go, you have nothing to fear in that realm. I'm curious because you're such a force there. What does make you afraid? Missed opportunity Mm -hmm. is what I fear the most. Missed opportunity as a business leader. Missed opportunity as a father. Mm -hmm. Missed opportunity as a husband. I feel like when the movie's over, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna at the very end of the movie, I'm gonna be wondering, right? Did I maximize the opportunity? Did I maximize the hand that I was dealt? and every day I, I'm asking those questions and it's a struggle, right? Because we're running, you know, CEO of three different businesses, um, a jujitsu teacher, uh, you know, a father, a husband. And every day I have to say a lot of no's. 
to, to get the yeses that I need for that particular day. Mm-hmm. So I'm always kind of living in the balance of like, man, am I doing the right amount of each thing? And I, that's the only real fear I have is that I, that I, that I leave a legacy worth, you know, leaving. And, um, you know, the people that I love most and respect the most respect me when I'm gone. So yeah, I love that you, you love your family a lot. It really shows in what you do and you are broadly successful. You've created products, other businesses. I know you talk to yourself and you have to coach yourself. You have to advise yourself with more opportunities and a fear of missed opportunity. What do you say to yourself and how do you determine what is worthy of a yes when you have to say so many no's? I have to really put the why into perspective, you know? And, you know, when I say yes to something, I better be crystal clear on the why I'm saying yes to that. And I think I do a good job of that. Because every time I say yes to something, automatically I'm saying no to 10 other things. If I were to sit in the place of the effect that saying no to those things may have, if I were to exist in that negative framework, I would need drugs and alcohol to cope. I would need, um, I would need pills, medication for depression, right? Because even though my life is great on the surface and there's all these great opportunity uh, and, 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 and success, right? Financial and otherwise, um, if you live in the negative framework, you're going to be depressed. So it's a deliberate choice every single day to, um, to say yes, where I say yes and do it intently, but do it with absolute clarity on why I'm saying yes to this today and what the long-term and the broader impact of that yes, um, will have on my life. This podcast is a perfect example. You know, um, there are 11 other things that I should be doing right now besides a podcast. And then I convinced myself, no, I'm going to talk to Craig. A, he's jujitsu, which I love. Um, and B, the audience that he reaches, there's a high probability that in that audience is someone who needed to hear this message and their life may change forever as a result of their exposure to the energy and the enthusiasm that we both share for jujitsu and for these principles and their life impact. And then one day, three years from now, I might get an email as I have so many times when someone says, Henry, I've been watching your videos. I saw that podcast and that's when I started and my life has never been the same. And I say, that's a yes worth showing up for. Yep. And here we are. Well, you have to be really strategic, and I appreciate you trusting me and and giving a little bit of time to uh, to help our community. One of the first things I learned in jujitsu is that I can be my own worst enemy, and sometimes we lean into our strength and we'll squeeze too hard, you know. And I'll wear myself out. I've learned that I've actually learned sometimes bringing less is more. That breathing and finding myself more relaxed helps my leadership. Can you tell me? In leadership, how do those principles transfer right now? I imagine there's someone that's that's really hanging on, trying to be in control, trying to muscle their way through it. But instead, if they might relax, if they might use um, some other skills, they might be better. How, how would you put into words the, um, the, those principles that would help someone to lead more effectively? When is less actually more? You know, one principle that comes to mind that is just so important um, for, for leaders and in life and in business is the river principle, mm-hmm. right? And this is the principle of, if you just think of the analogy of the river, right? When the water's flowing down the river and the rock presents itself, the water does not bother with the rock. Mm-hmm. It simply flows where the rock is not. So in the face of adversity, right? It's the human instinct to naturally go head first and boom, boom, boom. And um, when you have effective leadership and, and leaders in your organization, one skill that I think they possess and we possess in that role is the ability to, when faced with adversity, instead of fixating on it and as a result not really achieving the desired outcome, is to flow past it and just ask ourselves, where is the path of least resistance? Mm-hmm. This is so natural in jujitsu because if I go for an armbar on you and you lock down and there's no way. But in defending that armbar, your neck is perfectly exposed for a gi choke. I won't see the gi choke if I'm fixated on the armbar. Mm-hmm. Give me the arm. I'm like, yo, the neck is right there. But we're so fixated. So the ability to flow with the go mm-hmm. and and not fixate on that is so critical. And this has a this I've applied this in jujitsu, 
in my family life and in my outside of jujitsu professional life so more times than I can count. And companies have been born as a result of this principle, right? The best example and one you might have been aware of is, right, the hoodie. So I'm at the park on a fateful Tuesday morning, December 27, 2016. And I'm with my son and I have my hoodie and I take it off because the sun starts coming out. It was a chilly morning. When I take off my hoodie, I go to tie it around my waist and all I'm thinking to myself is, no, this is ridiculous. I don't want to tie this around my waist. I'm a cool dad. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) So I end up not tying it and I do this one where I throw it over my shoulder like this. And when I bend over to pick up my son, it falls over and falls on the wet grass. And I'm so frustrated in that moment. Like I started to sweat a little bit, even though I wasn't wearing my hoodie, like that little sweat, frustration sweat. And I'm like, this is so stupid. Why isn't there a better? So I'm in this caught in this moment of frustration around the silliest thing that I've experienced many, many times. And in my application of the river principle, rather than fixating on the frustration, I went home, picked up my son. We went home, disappeared into the office with shoestrings, paper clips, duct tape and scissors and the hoodie. And 30 minutes later on that same morning, I came out with the first functioning prototype, which is the hoodie. Look at this. You hold the hoodie upside down. Inside goes the hoodie, one turn, and out comes a fully functional backpack that you can actually put stuff inside the backpack and you can adjust the tightness of the backpack here. You should take that to Shark Tank. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) You already already, did. (laughs) So what's crazy is I invent this thing and one, you go ahead, count to three, it's already back to a hoodie. And all it is, literally, all it is, Craig, because if you look, I don't know if you have a quick foot, but if you look inside, it's just this hidden pouch, right? That you don't see on the exterior, but on the interior, literally, it's just the strings are in. So when you reach your hand in and pull it, the hoodie's gone and the backpack comes out to play in the sun. So here's what's wild. I'm not an apparel guy. I'm a jujitsu master. I'm at the park with my son, get frustrated, and a company is born. I made a few videos. Shark Tank saw the videos that went viral on the quick flip. And they call me to go on Shark Tank. So I go there, do a deal with Lori, do a geek, offer some Lori, Kevin, and um, Robert. Craziest episode ever. Super energized jujitsu and quick flip, and they're loving it. After that, organizations, corporations, Google, Intel, AI, Amazon start reaching out. Warner Brothers, production companies, and they want to do custom wholesale, right, quick flips for their organizations. And then Disneyland calls, and we're doing the quick flip for the Avengers Campus. In goes your Avengers hoodie, one turn, out comes your Avengers backpack, fully sublimated logo with the applique patch on there. So all by accident, when you embody the principles of jujitsu and when you see moments of frustration as opportunities for creation, and that's really the, the, the essence of the river principle. So when you talk about leaders and their ability to lead, I think this is one of the core principles they must have when they see adversity detach your ego i could care less let's get right to work what's the opportunity where's the where's the path of least resistance where's the most efficient way to submit my opponent in this fight i don't care that i lost the arm bar i'll take the choke if that's what's available and every time you practice as you well know this is reinforced in you time and time again so you become so good at becoming adaptive innovative and at really seeing every problem yes. as a technique waiting to be discovered. Mm-hmm. That to me is the beauty of jujitsu and what all of these principles uh, empower the leader to do. I like I like the way you said that that um, that that the problem is an opportunity for a technique. I always just say you know a problem is an opportunity for for a solution. And you kind of said you accidentally stumbled upon it. The, and and I, I like that because you're flowing with what comes your way. You probably accidentally stumbled upon a neck problem on an airplane one time too because you created a product based on that. And then, but I want to say this, and it's a compliment, it's not like a shot at you, Like, but there's intentionality to it, meaning you have every product right there in front of you. In case we come across it, you're not going to miss a chance to talk about it. And so there, there's both a, you're reading what's in front of you and you're prepared to, you're, you're prepared to see opportunities that don't yet exist. And then you'll also seize with intentionality. I always say it this way. People say, like, what's your five-year plan? Because we've been able to be innovative in different areas. And I say, I really don't have a five-year plan, but I'm creating margin right now for opportunities that I can't yet predict. So you had to have some margin somewhere to create the product, to have the team, whatever. So we're going to create margin in that way. I'm going to wrap this thing up, but I want to 
I want to compliment you by telling you if you could never do jujitsu again, if you couldn't invent products again, I am certain you would find a way to be successful at something. I'm going to ask you a two-part question. One is you can't invent anything. You can't leverage your social media to create any kind of products. You can't do jujitsu. What do you think you would do? And you may or may not have an answer. And then I'd love for you to not be humble, but be sincere and tell us why is it that you would be successful at it? And and I want to try to uncover the something that's in you and there's something in every leader. And what we have to do is we have to kind of determine what that something is. What's that something in you that would find an opportunity, create an opportunity, see an opportunity, add value? Is there something you would do? And what is it in you that would help you to rise to the top of some other field? If you look at the comments section in any video that I posted about Quick Flip, about the travel pillow that I invented, even about jujitsu, where I'm communicating enthusiastically about jujitsu, um, I think that there's a universal agreement that no one can sell like Henner can sell. And that would be my answer. If you said, Henner, you have to get wealthy, but you can't do jujitsu and you can't use your network, I would say, Name it. Want me to sell luxury cars? Want me to sell yachts? Want me to sell real estate? No matter what it is, if you put me in the in the driver's seat when it comes to sales, I'm going to beat out everybody else. Because over my years, I've acquired and developed and, and, and invested in a unique ability to effectively transfer my enthusiasm and passion for something to other people. That's all sales is. I feel this way about a, a hoodie or a sweatshirt. And now by my presentation, I get the audience to feel the same way. I feel that I'm as good at that as I am at jujitsu. So no matter what it is, Craig, you tell me what we're trying to communicate, what we're selling, and I will effectively communicate the benefits and the life-altering effects of that product or service to the audience. So I love that I get to sell jujitsu. And, and by the way, people might say, well, how did you get so good at that? And what I would say is this, the training grounds, the boot camp in which I learned this skill, think about the nature of the profession. From the start of 13 years old, I had the obligation and the duty to sell the activity which is comprised of consenting adults strangling each other for fun. That has been my obligation, my duty, and my, my work since I was a teenager. So by the time I was 19 years old, I had six years of selling what many would consider an unsellable service or product or experience. But I mastered it, and I continue to master it, and now I've mastered the ability to teach other people how to sell jujitsu. And like I said, it's to the point now where it doesn't matter what the service is or what the product is. If I believe in it, you're buying it. I can transfer the enthusiasm and the passion better than anyone that I've ever seen. And that's not to be boastful. That's just a matter of observation, right? And I have that ability. And now I've proven that not just in jujitsu, but I've applied that salesmanship to other fields as well. I, I have to say, honestly, like I, I love your self-awareness. When Before I interviewed you, we, we've, we've talked a few times over social media, but we don't, we don't know each other. And I, I thought, this guy, he's, he's the best of the best, but he's a marketer. I mean, he literally knows how to take something and make it accessible. And so you're very self-aware as a leader. You know you're great at selling. And that's the thing for all leaders. We need to really recognize what our sweet spot is. I'm going to say this. As a faith leader, some people aren't going to like this when I say it. You can say it all day long, you're in sales. But no matter what we do in leadership, we are in sales, meaning we have to, we have, to have a vision, something that we believe in, and we have to sell it. What, what Henner does is, and you said it, you have to be passionate about it to sell it. But if you are, you do. And I would just say to my friends in faith, if you're passionate about it, you got to sell it in a way, live it in a way that people want it. If you're in business and there's something you believe in, even if it's a product that's not like something that's exciting, but you've got a mission with that product, you're helping people, you're employing people, you're helping people own their own franchise, you got to be passionate about it. 
I applaud your passion. I, um, I love your love for people. The book is called The 32 Principles. It's forwarded by Jocko. I mean, that's pretty dang cool. One of the best of the best around. And it's about harnessing the power of jiu-jitsu to succeed in business, relationships, and life. Henry, thanks for helping people. Thanks for being generous with your time. Thanks for writing a book that um, will help us grow in our leadership. And uh, hopefully sometime we can roll together. I can't wait, man. I look forward. I, I really want to roll with you one day. I would love that if you're out here in LA. To everyone else out there, um, if you're excited about anything you heard here, GracieUniversity.com is our online learning center where all the jujitsu takes place. And it's literally designed for you to learn from home. We have a Gracie Bully Proof, our, our program for youth empowerment and anti-bullying. Teaches, teaches you, the parent, how to teach your child from home. We have Women Empowered to teach women the 20 most important techniques to defend against sexual assault right? And self-defense. So GST, Gracie Survival Tactics, is a law enforcement program which trains law enforcement trainers on how to physically de-escalate in nonviolent ways. All of this is at GracieUniversity.com. The book um, is available Amazon, everywhere books are sold. It's available on audiobook as well. That was a whole different experience. Recording the audiobook was something that I dreaded and I got through it and I just pushed through and I would love for you guys to give me your feedback on that. And then anybody who needs quick flip, we do quick flip for organizations, corporations, teams, anything, you name it, and very low minimum. So if you want to do quick flips for your whole team with the logo on it, anyone out there, check us out at quickflipapparel.com. And then Sleeper Hold is just the best travel pillow that ever existed since the beginning of commercial air flight. Um, so check that out at sleeperhold.com. Videos, tutorials, things on how it works. And you can, of course, pick up your Sleeper Holds there as well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, you always have a place here in Los Angeles to come train if you make it out. Everyone else, we'll see you when we see you. Hey, for those of you who want to try jiu-jitsu, uh, go to at Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. There are free videos, and I train with them at home, and I appreciate your investment in my life helping me get better. To those of you in our, our leadership community, that is our goal, to help you grow in your leadership to get better. Um, we'll link to all of um, Henner's resources in the leader guide. Just go to life.church/leadershippodcast to um, pick up uh, the leader guide. We'll send that with each new episode. And if this is helpful to you and you want to invite others, hey, tag Henner, tag me on social media, and um, we may repost you as well. And then we'll be with you again on the first Thursday of each month to help you grow in your leadership because we know that everyone wins when the leader gets better.